explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. G'day, I'm Liz Guinness and welcome to Talking Australia. It's my great pleasure to be joined today by Michelle Lee, world record holding solo rower. Michelle loves a challenge and lives by the motto, dare to say yes. And say yes, she did when she decided to take on one of the world's fiercest events, the Talisca Atlantic Challenge. But before you can run, you have to learn how to walk. And for Michelle, she had to learn how to row before she could embark on this gruelling four and a half thousand kilometre journey, solo and unassisted. This is her incredible story. You won't want to miss a second. For those of you who aren't familiar with Michelle, the wonderful, the fabulous Michelle Lee, um, I thought I'd give you a bit of an introduction, but perhaps, Michelle, you'd be better off telling people a little bit about um, what you've been up to in the last little while. Uh, so in the last couple of months, I guess we've all been locked down. So for me, I've taken full advantage of um, just getting my eating right. I've really enjoyed the no obligation to, you know, say yes to outings and yes to, you know, visiting friends and stuff. So I've kind of reveled in the whole, um, you know, not feeling guilty about um, not saying yes to invites. So I've kind of loved the lockdown, to be honest. I have to be honest and say I'm, I'm exactly the same. I think we're, we're like, a, you know, mice on a treadmill and we, we scurry around trying to get everything done and, and not really getting too much forward or backwards so um it's been lovely it's been really lovely um I guess though um the reason that we're speaking to you is because you um did go somewhere and did do something remarkable um in the last couple of years and I would love to share that story with our listeners today um so I'm going to just say in a nutshell you rode by yourself 4,700 kilometres across the Atlantic Ocean? Correct. And I feel like almost that's enough said, really. People should just sit back and take that in for a moment. But what I'd like to do today is um, have you take us through the preparation for that trip, um, the motivation for that, the inspiration, why on earth you would want to do that and how you managed to, um, to achieve it. So, I think maybe we should start with maybe just a brief overview of, of um, why, why, why take on something like that, Michelle? Why, why? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably the most common question. And uh, for me, it was a book. So I was handed a book called Rowing the Atlantic and uh, it plagued me for two whole years. So after reading it, thumbing through it constantly, you know, the following year and realising that this thing is not going to go away, this is going to plague me until I do it. So really, you know, my notion to row the ocean was just because I read a book called Rowing the Atlantic and it sort of placed um, this idea in my head and everything that this girl achieved, I wanted. So for me, there was no other way to achieve it other than to go and copy what she did. And the fact that I'm not a rower, I had never put an oar in the water, 
it was all completely irrelevant. It was just wanting what she had and, you know, being able to overcome and triumph over all of the adversities and the hardships that were thrown at her. So that was the big appeal for me. Given you weren't a rower, um, you'd obviously had some sort of athletic kind of background, I would imagine. You were an active child or had competed in other events in the past. Uh, so I always say I'm, I'm not elite, I'm not an athlete, and I'm certainly not a rower. So um, in the past, I loved to get involved in anything. You know, if someone says, do you want to do a mud run or do you want to do a Spartan or if you want to go in a triathlon, I'll always put my hand up. Yeah, love to. But, um, you know, they're not at elite ends of the scale by any means. And um, so, yeah, I do have a passion to train. It is a part of my daily life. And um, this certainly was taking everything to, you know, the next level, that's for sure. So with the book, um, what was it that you read in it that really kind of you connected with? The, the sense of a challenge of overcoming adversity, one on one with the ocean. What what was it? What at what moment did you think this is absolutely for me? The book was handed to me during two seasons that I spent on a yacht in the Bahamas. So I got an invite to go on board and live on this yacht. It's a private yacht, forty two foot catamaran, and that was my you know eye opener to a whole different world. And I constantly, for the whole season, I'd walk around going, oh, my God, this is a different world. People do live on boats. And they just sail from A to B and, you know, drop an anchor, love this, we'll stay a bit longer, pick it up, move on. And so I knew I had a love of the ocean. I There's always been a beckoning for me, you know, going to the beach. I'd always be the further, furthest one out, um, you know, with the board, board riders sort of thing. So there's um, definitely a natural pull to the ocean. And then, of course, living on board this yacht with Tony, it opened my eyes to a whole new world, which is also where that book was handed to me. And um, then in the book, it was the ability to know that it's anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And, you know, Ross Savage, who is my inspiration, she was the author of Rowing the Atlantic, she was not a rower. She was not an ocean-going girl. She was from the corporate world who just said, you know what, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to me. And that's what inspired me. I just thought, yeah, you know, let's tap into our untapped potential. And she just proved to me that anyone can do this. So I didn't see her as some god. I just thought she's not much different to me. If she can do it, I can do it. And it was that simple. It was born from that thought process. Um, I just wanted to back a second. You were living on a on a yacht for two years. You were working in that in, in that capacity, or no? So um, I met Tony in uh, on a solo trip to Thailand. So Tony, Tony, sorry, Tony is who? Uh, so Tony, he owns the yacht, and you know he invited me on the yacht. We became partners. So he was my partner. And, um, you know, he introduced me to this world that I honestly had no idea existed. Again, it's about daring to say yes. You know, there I was living a very comfortable life, very cruisy, very predictable. I was a self-employed massage therapist. I knew my Monday to Friday like the back of my hand. I knew exactly what my week was going to look like. And then, you know, by daring to say yes to this wild invitation, it's just, you know, open my whole world has opened so many doors and it's 
thanks to Tony for dragging me out of here, um, that I then, you know, got this desire to row the Atlantic. And, you know, the book that wouldn't leave me and all of the hardships that she faced, you know, she tells a story of everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And but she overcame them. So that's what I fell in love with. The idea that you can, you know, you've got to be pushed outside your comfort zones to really see what you're capable of. And I guess it came to me at an age where I was looking for more. I was ready to, um, you know, throw myself into something, dig my, sink my teeth into something bigger than me. And then I was fueled by this desire not to die wondering. And it all began with, you know, that's it, May 2016. I picked up the phone. I rang my bestie and I said, hey, Claudie, guess what I'm going to do? She said, what? I said, I'm going to row across the Atlantic. She goes, are you darling? How are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. I said, I've just got to get me a boat. And that is where it began, May 2016. And then it took two years, you know, that preparation and funding, building a boat, learning to row, getting a world record. They were all parts of the step and my journey to get to that start line. It was a two-year, dedicated, committed, uh, focused, conscious effort where everything I did was ruled by the start line. And, you know, I had to give up a lot. I had to sacrifice a lot. My life had to change completely and my mindset had to change in order just to get to the start line. I mean, look, I'm always, uh, when I speak to people who do adventurous things, I'm always fascinated by that mindset. It's like a switch um, that goes off for people and it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing this and I'll do the preparation, I will do the work, I will be prepared and I will give it my best. Um, and I, But I feel for a lot of people who might be listening today that they would just would have the idea perhaps and think, I just can't possibly do that. So I wonder <clears throat> what sets you apart from someone else from reading that book and and thinking I'd like to do this. I, have you have you had any time to think about that? Or Yeah, I think it's um, connecting with the emotion, connect with what it will feel like and play it like a movie because that's what I did. I would play it like a movie in my head over and over of me achieving that goal. So I had crossed that finish line before I even built a boat, before I even put the oar in water, I had played that over and over in my head. And then I played the alternative, the picture of me not doing it because of fear, because of the self-doubt, because of the limiting belief of, oh, who am I? I can't do this. Oh, I don't have the resources. All of those things come into it. And um, I played that picture of me not doing it and I was like, no way, what a waste of my life. You've got to at least give it your best red hot shot, man. Come on, give it a crack. You know, so that was a, a massive thing for me, playing the picture of achieving versus not even giving it a go. And I decided that that was just going to be a waste of my life and I couldn't justify it. Oh, I love that. It's that whole power of um, positive visualization, isn't it? Mm, totally. And I had to do everything using visualization because there was a lot of things that uh, in my preparation that I simply could not mimic and mock before I got my boat across there at that start line. So I would sit there and Google the crap out of uh, ocean rowing, not ocean rowing, but more like storms in the Atlantic, hurricanes in the Atlantic. And I would get myself familiar with what it was going to look like, what it was going to sound like. 
just by watching ships going through storms. And, um, you know, that's pretty much how I did a lot of my training. We have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you'll also receive exclusive benefits, including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia for our special offer. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Okay, so you've made the phone call to your bestie, which I love. Um, and then, so the next step is to what? To find someone to train you, to find a boat? How does that, how does it all play out for someone? Yeah, so I realised I needed a mentor. I needed to speak to somebody who's been there and done it, who could help pave the way, you know, someone that's already done all the groundwork. So I Googled Australians slash Atlantic Ocean Row and only one name came up. So that was Andrew who lives in Brisbane. And I shot him a message the same day I rang my friend. I shot him a text message to uh, via uh, Facebook saying, hello, I'm Michelle, I'm from Sydney, and I'm going to do the Atlantic Ocean Row. Where to start, where to find sponsors, the hows, the whys, the, you know, I need any information you can give me, would you mind helping? And he shot me. And I also said, and by the way, where's your little ocean rowing boat? Can I buy it? Is she for sale? (laughs) (laughs) Which he responded with, uh, no, I've just sold my boat, but happy to help call or email. So then I ring him saying, well, where the hell am I going to get a boat from? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. um, And so Andrew became my mentor. He became, um, you know, he trained me. He was an ocean rower prior to him participating in the very same event in 2013. So, you know, he had an ocean rowing background and he, a competitive rower for, um, you know, the surf boats. So what a perfect um, coach slash mentor. And um, he took me on. He agreed to take me on and train me and suggested that I go and do the world record on the ERG, on the indoor rowing machine and become the fastest female to row a million metres. He said, because this will get you mentally strong. He said, rowing on this machine for 14 hours a day for five or six days in a row, he said, this is tougher than rowing the Atlantic. So I thought, great, what a good foundation. Plus it ticked all the other boxes. That was where I could A, learn to row. B, I would then start creating some validation, also credibility. Don't forget, I had to build a profile here. I had nothing. I was nobody. And, you know, we want to go and do some campaigning and knock on doors and say, will you sponsor me? Will you back me? And they're saying, well, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm Michelle. And, you know, what have you done? All I had done was done Kokoda. I'd done a few triathlons, nothing outstanding. And I knew that I had to step up. I had to really like, you know, create something. So the uh, million metre on the erg was a really great suggestion, thanks to Andrew. And he coached me through that. So um, so how did he do that? You're in, you're in Sydney, presumably? And he's yeah. In yeah. So um, I had to just do my 2K time trial on the erg and send him my results in a video because he said, have you rode before on an erg? And I said, oh, yeah, we use them at our gym, you know. I actually thought I was a really good rower and I sent him my video of my 2K, which was about 7 minutes 48 or 7 minutes 58, and he looked at the video and he goes, oh, uh, we've got a lot of work to do. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that, that's not deflating at all. And is that it? was my, you know, my first phone call to him was super deflating. He made this sound absolutely impossible. The idea of rowing across the Atlantic, he made it sound impossible. He said, people are going to let you down. Um, you're going to have to find sponsors. People are going to promise the earth and under deliver and you're going to be constantly disappointed and it's so hard. This is why so few people do it. They don't even get to the start line. They, they give up. And so he, I actually hung up from him feeling completely deflated and I honestly did for two days. I thought, oh, man, I thought, who the hell am I to think that I could do, even do this? And then it was about a week later I rang him and I said, you know what, you've done this. This is not impossible. And that's when he said, okay, so you're fair income, are you? I said, yeah, I'm going to do this with or without you, but your help would be great, you know. So then he came on board. It's almost like it was a test that yeah, you had to say pass, that. you know. Yeah, it just gave me tingles then. I was just like, I, it felt like he was just testing, yeah. Yeah, because it's a lot of effort to even begin to explain to someone what to expect and where to start. That's a lot of your time and energy, you know what I mean? So, and he had already been contacted numerous times by people who, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to row the Atlantic, you know. So he would give them his heart and soul and divulge on how, is, how you've got to go about it. And then they just drop the ball, like, they, you know, because it is hard and you do have to be prepared to completely change your life. It's got to completely, you've got to obsess over it. So this thousand, sorry, how, how far long was it? Uh, so the million metre world The million metre, yes. So, which is 1,000 kilometres. That's right, yeah. So um, how long into this process did you do that? Uh, this was straight off the bat. So um, I basically started, so between May and September, Andrew and I did a lot of to and froing, and I did a lot of my own research, um, you know, gathering information about how to build a boat, where to get my boat, all that sort of stuff. And then I didn't actually meet Andrew till September. So between May and September, we just spoke about, you know, and he was planting the seed. You need to do something outstanding. You need to get off your bum and, you know, step up. So he was planting the seed of doing this million metre. And then uh, I met him in September when I had all, I had decided that's it, I'm doing it. So I purchased the erg. The, it turned up on my doorstep and it lived in my lounge room. And he came down for a weekend in September to teach me the rowing technique. Okay, so you hadn't been doing much rowing between that May and September? Just at your no. gym? Or no, no? Just at, yeah, just at my gym, just whatever they throw in in a workout. You know, they sort of get you on a rower for, you know, couple of minutes and kill you on a rower yeah. <laughs> yeah. so everybody's association of a rower in the gym is dread they like oh no not the rower yeah for sure because you know um, our relationship with a rowing machine in the gym is doing these ridiculous sprints that honestly you feel like you're going to die when you get off but what I was doing was long distance stamina endurance so my rows were um, at a pace that I could speak they were designed, you know, for me to be able to row for 14 hours a day. So, um, and then, you know, in the training program, which was written based on my personal 2K time, every six weeks we changed it. So the numbers would change. I would retest and do my 2K time trial every six weeks. And then, of course, you've improved. You've made improvements. So then your numbers, you know, you crunch the numbers again and the program gets harder 
each week, each six-week block, I should say. So when you say so, harder, do you mean like stroke rate or distance or um, distance travelled in a particular time? Correct, yeah, distance travelled. So the numbers that you're pulling will be a bit harder. The effort, the exertion increases so that it's never easy, so that it never, you know, your body's never adapt. As soon as you start to adapt, boom, we change it again. And that's, you know, the physiological changes that had to take place for me was I was more of a sprinter. I had to then go through the adaptations of becoming more of that long-distance stamina endurance kind of um, body. I also had to learn how to digest food whilst rowing. So in 14 hours, I still had to consume an enormous amount of uh, calories and carbohydrates and liquid. So, um, and this is all science, you know, so that you don't hit that brick wall. And it gave me the opportunity by doing the world record to test that and to actually see and understand the importance of nutrition, of hydration. So that, you know, this put me miles ahead when I actually made it to the Atlantic, all the lessons learned from that six month training program. And ultimately, uh, the week long, you know, the five days I spent on that rower to get that record, they were invaluable lessons. And then, of course, the mental resilience that it sort of built. And I, I don't believe that we are born with mental resilience. It's a question I get asked often. You know, are you born with mental resilience? I don't believe we are. I believe it's like a muscle and it, it needs a stimulus to be thrown at it constantly and challenge it. So that, you know, once you, you're always setting new benchmarks, once you get there, you've got to then to raise the ceiling, set a new benchmark, let's go for it. And you've got to constantly be sitting on the edge of being uncomfortable. So that's sort of what my life looked like for two whole years. It was just sitting on the edge of uncomfortable. As soon as something got a bit easy or a bit, let's say normal, I'd have to go and do something a bit different or throw something else in the mix. And historically, is that who you were through your life, do you feel? back I've always loved a physical challenge um I would always say yes and then think about it after and go oh and and I have always found that the verbalizing it is certainly essential because then I feel compelled to um live by integrity which for me is doing what you say you will do and finishing what you start so as soon as I verbalize something I know, oh dear, <laughs> you have to do this now because it's I'm in now. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess, yeah, it's it's always been in me to do something physical. If anyone wanted to go on a big bushwalk, you know, and I'm not talking like a little one-hour walk through the mountains, I'm talking like eight hours, I'm keen, I'm there, yeah. I've got my, I'll spend the night before packing my snacks and arranging and organising and, you know, being prepared, going to bed early. So I'm happy to sacrifice nights out. I'm happy to sacrifice um, you know, being out on the drink and whatnot. And, um, yeah, this is a priority for me out of, out of pure enjoyment, to be honest. Like I don't struggle with that sort of stuff. So you're about to start your row. Um, how were you feeling? Were you feeling obviously positive? That's the mindset that you need to take into something like that. You felt that you could do it. You felt you could get it done. I went into that feeling positive. I, because I said to myself, you've done the work. I knew I hadn't cheated any of the program. I knew that um, I had built my mental resilience over that six months and I rode with no distraction of TV. You know, I didn't own a TV. So there's my living room with the rowing machine and um, just myself, podcasts. Occasionally a few friends would come in and visit me while I'm rowing, you know, on an eight-hour Sunday shift. 
But um, so, yeah, I knew that I had done the work and uh, I had learned over that six-month period how determined I was, you know, and all these things are things that you find out about yourself as you go. You don't know until you start pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. So I knew that I could push through the discomfort. I'd already done um, a 14-hour trial. I had done two back-to-back 14-hour rows in my lead-up. And I had made a list of my shortcomings. Where did I struggle? What can I do to make that a bit better? You know, we'd gone through a whole process of eliminating obvious distractions or um, things that were going to cause me problems. So, yeah, I I did go into it feeling really confident and um, probably by day three. So this took five and a half days. I rode for 14 hours a day for five and a half days. On day three, I realised that my body had just become mechanical. Uh, I woke up with no pain, nothing was aching, and I just thought, yeah, you will do this. That's it for part one of our chat with Michelle Lee. Don't forget to join us for part two. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.